Don't think healthcare professionals have any business experience? Think again. No topic is off limits as we share tales from our brave hosts who will always tell it like it is. We are hashtag no filter healthcare here to guide you through your healthcare journey are your hosts, Taylor Dunn and Tamara Donda. We want to thank our sponsor Uptime Health, the leading healthcare equipment and compliance management software company for bringing this podcast to fruition. Visit UptimeHealth.com to learn more. Let's get started. Welcome to hashtag no filter healthcare. I'm your co-host Taylor Dunn. And I'm your other co-host, Humor Donden. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about establishing yourself as a thought leader. Oh my goodness, I hear this term so much. You know, thought leadership, especially on LinkedIn, it's everywhere. And I think what people need to realize is that there's a lot that goes into becoming a thought leader. It's not just something that happens overnight. And so I think this episode is really going to be impactful for people that are either trying to be a thought leader or trying to understand what it actually means to become one. Yeah, I think we should probably start off by what our definition of a thought leader is. I feel like there's, you know, everyone's going to have their own thoughts on what it means. But what we're looking at is, you know, a thought leader is a person that is an authority in a particular field or industry. Um, they are influential, they have credibility and they have experience or expertise, um, which I think is huge. You know, a lot of people are like, I've been working in this industry for a couple years and I want to be up on stage talking about this stuff. And you can, I'm not discouraging that, but I think that the, the true thought leaders are the people that have been around for five plus years have really been through different scenarios in their career and have um, originality to their thoughts and ideas and um, have unique insights and perspectives. So, yeah. And I also think though, too, that there's the other side of it. Like it's not just somebody that's been in a, in a certain position or in a field for a couple of years, because there are people that are within a field for many years, but still are not a thought leader in that sense. They don't have that consistency or clear communication and all the other things you look for, right, with that. So I also think that there are even startups, you know, leaders of startups that can also be thought leaders as well, because they've, they have influence over others, right? And I feel like um, a lot of people think that that comes with time. And I can argue that it definitely can happen, you know, pretty quickly. Um, but it's, it's just knowing if you're in that position right now, or if you're looking down the road and, and trying to figure out if this is where you want to be, because it's, it's very few, you know, that have kind of come out as a startup and became thought leaders pretty quickly, but it's all based around the idea that they have the credibility and the influence over an audience. And that's really what truly defines you as a thought leader in the space. Well, I think it's completely different when you're talking about startup world. I mean, these are innovators. These are people that are um, not in a corporate position. They're constantly being creative and having to come up with new ways to be successful within their business and evaluate the field that they're entering into um, and how to, you know, better their product or their services or whatever their offering is. So it's a different mindset completely. So I think there's like two separate types of thought leaders, ones that have been in, you know, the corporate setting where they're getting a different type of experience. And then there's this startup world 
or, you know, where they're entrepreneurs and they're taking a different, they have a different mindset as well. Like it's completely different. Um, their day-to-days are not, some of them can be the same, but they're not always aligned, you know? So, um, it's a different environment. And I think that there are thought leaders in both for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you think of the startup world is what we're calling it, it's almost like I envision like some tech, tech world, you know? Um, but it, it really is, you know, a, a different place. It's a different environment. And I feel like a lot of people go to thought leaders in the startup space when they're trying to figure out how to get from ground up. You know, I feel like that a lot of larger companies, you know, kind of switch out CEOs, they switch out CFOs and that happens a lot. But from a startup, you're looking at the ground level team, right? The team that's been there since day one, they're working outside of their garage, you know, like those are the people that that I would go to, to learn about grit and about, you know, sustainability and growth because they came from a, a place of, of nothing and turned it into something. And so that, you know, that sort of thought leadership aspect, I think is, is important to know because you'll go to the conferences and you'll hear these other thought leaders in the space that have been there, done that. And they forget a lot of those concepts of how they got there. And I feel like that one part of how you get there is so crucial to aspiring business owners or even business owners looking to take a new turn. Um, So I definitely think that there, again, yeah, there's two sides to this and, you know, it all comes back to credibility and trust that they build in, in the market and in the industry and, um, yeah, it just, it takes that right person to, to say the right things. And back to credibility, you know, there's also a, a perspective of a thought leader that has to kind of come in and clean up a mess that's been made. Um, that's like a completely different mindset too. They're, um, they're having to take a total mess, like something that they're like, how did they get here? You know? And then they have to go and figure it out and they do. And that's like a skill set in itself. But that is the type of thought leader that has those influential insights and ideas that can really help a lot of people make sure not to make those same mistakes or go down that path. Um, But I just think that they're the type of people that set trends um, and they just are able to share their experiences in different ways. Like, for example, we talked about, you know, speaking engagements. That's huge. I mean, most people you see on a panel discussion, they are your industry thought leaders because they're the ones that can think on spot, answer questions that, you know, some of them they've definitely talked through, but a lot of it is organic conversation where they're having to talk and pull from real life experiences. Um, and they can help people understand how to take on a different perspective. Um, but another way that we also enjoy is white papers. I personally love to pull up a white paper that kind of breaks down everything or even like a case study that helps me evaluate an experience, um, through a company's eyes. Yeah. And that's a way to kind of broadcast the company into being a thought leader because it's not individual people all the time, right? Um, You'll see that there are executive level, you know, employees that are thought leaders of that company, which is great. But then when you look at it from a digital aspect, the case studies and the white papers of the world can make you and your company a thought leader in space. So it's not just the CEO 
but it's the entire company, right? Um, and so I think that's a really an awesome, compelling way to have that same effect versus having you know a conference where it's one thought leader, right, representing the company. This is all of you guys involved in it. So yeah, that's a that's a smart thought. <laughs> I know people shy away from white papers. And I'm like, why become a resource? You know, we, we talked about this before. Like I always say this and I'll probably say it in every episode, be a resource to your audience, right? Whether you're, you're looking at your consumers or you're looking at, you know, potential partners or advisors, you know, you have to have resources available to people to understand your company more versus the surface level. Right. And so I think the case studies and the white papers are really effective in becoming thought leaders, but also giving valuable resources to your potential clients. And those are the people that are interested in like innovation and what you have going on in your company. And so they're just amazing ways to provide valuable insights and demonstrate actual results of your company. And I truly think that even if you don't want to become a thought leader, which I think everybody should, even if you don't write a case study, write a white paper, work with another company and help yourself establish your name in, in the industry that you're working in. And also white papers don't mean that you have to write 15, 20 page documents. Please don't. Please do not. Do not do that to us. Don't. Um, I prefer white papers that I know are between two to five pages. They're summarized information. Statistics are in there with data and I can just pull from it um, and use it in my own uh career. You know, that, that is my favorite type of white paper. If I see that it's got 10 plus pages, I'm going to skim it probably, but I'm not going to have the time to sit down and read that whole thing. Yeah. It's about high level strategy. (laughs) So it's always, a you know, when you create these uh, white papers and case studies, you have to think of the reader in mind, just like anything else. If you're writing a magazine, you think of your audience and your reader, right? It's the same thing. Like people care about your company, but they don't care about every detail of your company. So, you know, keep the details to a minimum and really think of the impact, right? That you're providing that person that's reading it. Um, because if you think of them when you're creating this and putting this together, then ultimately it's going to be successful because that's the person that's reading it. And so they know and feel the same way, um, you know, about your company. And I think that that is super important to know. It's not about graphs and data points, which they are, they matter if they're high level. So just ask yourself, is this information that is going to be easily digestible by somebody that's reading this? And if you say no, then don't put it in there. (laughs) Well, and also be willing to do, to take on case studies, like be, um, you know, if, if you're working with a vendor and you know, you've had a certain experience and it could be that maybe it didn't start off great, or, you know, you weren't sure how you were going to onboard with 30 plus locations and, um, the experience you were really worried about it. And then it turned out to be amazing and you wouldn't be able to do your day-to-day operations without that vendor. Um, be willing to step up and say, Hey, I'd love to do a a case study for you guys. Um, because we have a unique experience. Um, and I want to talk about it because that is you providing, it's like the peer, peer peer-to-peer support, 
you're providing your experience for your peers to then be able to evaluate the company from your perspective, not the company's perspective. And you can bridge partnerships through through these white papers. You know, um, I've realized that you can connect one on one with you know somebody that's in their operations team or somebody that's in their marketing team, and you can learn more about that company too, and see if there's a way for you to bridge a gap to a partnership as well. So. Um, it's definitely a, a way to open up the doors, um, you know, definitely task the right person with white paper um, because they're, they are structurally um, different than most. It's not a blog. It's, you know, it's, it's got its own, you know, look and feel. And so I think having somebody that's in there that knows how to write it is super important. Um, and also, you know, delegating this to somebody that has an outside perspective is also really impactful because they can clean up all of the information that you think is relevant that may not be relevant to your audience. So, and Tamara, can you talk about the process for, um, maybe like an outline for a white paper, because you've done this, um, you know, a couple times I'd say, (laughs) so, you know, you know, the experience. So for people that are curious, you know, what, what does it take just a quick, outline of um, what to expect? Yeah. So always, always, always do research when it comes to the topic. Um, So I always try to combine like if if this is like a dual company case study, so it's like company A and company B, find where you guys align. And, and also research that as a topic, you know, figure out what are the industry trends for that alignment. Um, because that to me always does very, very well from like an SEO perspective. If you're, if you're looking at what things, what people are talking about today. So for example, if you guys, you know, have the alignment of allocation of resources and you're looking up, okay, what are the trends right now to either the, the finances involved with allocation of resources or the task management that's involved in it? No matter what, you're researching that alignment and you're coming up with a topic that's easily searchable that people are talking about today. That's number one. And then when it comes to the structure of the white paper, there's obviously so many nuances from like preamble and, you know, methodology and all of the, you know, the basic terminology that comes with the white paper. But what I think is also the most important thing is your key audience, you know, figuring out who is going to read this and who is going to be most impacted by this. And so your key stakeholders is probably the most important section, I think, of the entire thing, Um, because you need to address when you're creating these white papers who this is actually going to be pushed to. Um, and who is this going to influence? And that's really what navigates the rest of your your writing in there is like, is this talking to that key audience? Go back to that key audience every time and say, okay, this is meant for patients. All right, well, this whole thing better read like it's going to read to a patient because that's what really matters. Um, and then also making sure that you summarize everything that you say. So like I've read white papers that have all of these great topics, but then the conclusion's like, well, if you want to learn more, visit www. And you're just like, wait, what did I just read? Take a minute to write that conclusion paragraph of like summarize the high level topics of the discussion, right? What are the really most, the largest impactful key takeaways and put those at the bottom because like Taylor said, scroll, scroll, scroll. I'm going to go all the way to the bottom and see the summary because I don't want to have to go through all the data points, right? That happens. So make sure your important things are at the top 
and at the bottom leave the middle for somebody that's really interested. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I just wanted you to really talk about stakeholders, and I'm like, how am I gonna get her to talk about stakeholders? Because I think it's so important. I think it's really important to evaluate, you know, who's gonna be looking at this. Um, and then another thing to mention is I love it when I see a white paper and with it comes an automatic resource, like, um, you know, a worksheet or something that is a takeaway item. So whatever they were talking about, I have a way to kind of, kind of calculate it on my own um, based on the information that I can input. So um, that's something to consider as well. But these are all things that as thought leaders, you're... It's almost like an unspoken um, expectation that you can do these things because you're now looked to as a, a key uh, representative of the industry that can evaluate the needs and tell people, you know, how to approach them. So um, I think if you're considering becoming a thought leader, there's a lot of work that goes into it, not only just in your own career, but you're then looked at as someone that people can rely on and lean on as an expert. So something to consider. <laughs> a lot of pressure. Uh, good pressure. It's uh, See, I think it's great. It's exposure for you, but also for your company, as you were saying. Like, this is not just a, hey, look at me, look at me kind of thing at all. This is a look at me to look at my company to help you do better with your company. <laughs> so it's a collaborative effort. I think um, when you become a thought leader, you're already taking on the mindset that I'm a collaborative person and I'm open to discussion and helping people um, benefit from those discussions. So, yeah, I think with passion comes thought leadership. So when you're passionate about something, and you want to learn everything about it and you strive to make decisions around all of your learnings and findings. I think that's what really leads to thought leadership is, is ultimately your passion. At the end of the day, consider, you know, all of the resources you can provide to the industry and how you can be a major part in helping other people. And that's something that is, it's not very common. Um, it's, you have to really be passionate as we said. So but consider it because I think it's really great. And I love all the thought leaders that we work with. So, um, well, I'd like to wrap up the episode by thanking everyone for listening today um, and thanking our sponsor, Uptime Health. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit uptimehealth.com. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast or leave a comment below if you have any questions for us. Thank you. Thank you.